Shadow of the Hook by Wolfgang Wimmers Passage 6 Strange Strangers and Strangeness They entered the little house through its front door. The opening was so small that Oscar and Rosa almost had to crawl to fit through it. William wandered over to the door with them, but then spotted a large, juicy clump of grass, and his companions were well forgotten. Inside, it was warm and cosy. One large room, filled with tables and chairs, lounges and shelves, occupied the whole ground floor, while knick-knacks and bric-a-brac filled every shelf and corner. A large kitchen area and serving bench stretched along the back wall. Two fires crackled in twisted fire pots in opposite corners of the room, their angled chimneys shooting upward through the ceiling. The companions looked around at the strange assortment of creatures and magical folk in the room. Philip could be seen peering into the room through a large gap in a wall, while Fungus had been bringing in large cauldrons of food, which he was placing on the serving bench. Well, my good fellows, the time for introductions is at hand, said Spoonton. Fungus and Philip, you've met already. He gestured to a stool on his right. This fellow is Furble, the hairy fairy. A small arm popped out of a ball of fur that was perched atop the stool and waved a greeting. The pile of rocks in the corner is our wee stone giant Crumbles. The small pile of rocks let out a grunt. A spray of pebbles hit the floor. <clears throat> and these three are Lily Pilly, the greeny brownie, Keith Bright, the dull will of the wisp, and Polly Pudge, our pleasantly plump pixie. Lily was about knee height to Oscar, and her skin was the brightest shade of green he had ever seen. She wore a curved green hat with a faded green shirt and dark green pants. Keith Bright, on the other hand, was a dull white. He was jelly-like and droopy, and gave off none of the intense brilliance one would expect of a wisp. He hovered above a sofa. <laughs> but, but where's Polly? asked Rosa, looking around. Here I am! came a jolly voice from behind the sofa. At first there was no sign of her, but then... Slowly rising above the back of the sofa came the tips of two furiously beating wings, followed by a hive of curly brown hair, then a chubby face, glowing red with effort. Oof! That was exhausting! Phew! puffed Polly as she clambered up onto the back of the sofa. When she had regained her breath a little, she smiled warmly at the guests. Hello there! Gesturing to Ash, she said, I see you have yourself some broken wings there, my manly good-looking fairy friend. Have you come to join our little troop? Ash looked stunned. Spoonton cleared his throat. <coughs> Dearest Polly, although I'm sure, like us, our friends here have their own quirks, I sense they aren't here to join us. As he was about to continue, the rear door of the house opened and a most peculiar creature entered. It had a horse's head, 
but the body of a small man, and was around two and a half feet tall. Ah, said Spoonton, this is Whiskey Longface. He's a Shetland centaur. Well, sort of. They're usually the other way around, aren't they, Whiskey? Whiskey replied with a... And we have a wingless pegasus in a stable out back, squeaked Lily. Oh, really a pegasus? said Rosa, looking excited. Oscar, however, looked sceptical. So, it's just a horse? Rosa shot him a dark look, while, for his part, Whiskey let out an indignant, fluttery snort and trotted off to the other side of the room. It was Lily who answered Oscar's question. Hmm, sort of, but I wouldn't call Sky Blazer a horse as such. He's, uh, uh, never mind, said Lily, blushing a darker shade of green. <coughs> Came the now familiar call from just outside. It was so loud that it set the stacked plates and glasses rumbling and clinking. Spoonton clapped three times to get everyone's attention. Friends and new acquaintances, supper is served, he announced. It's time to break the bread. Chew on the stew and tell the tale. I'm sure our new guests have wonderful stories for us. Let's begin. The next few minutes were a bustle of activity, while everyone filled their plates with fungus's fine fare. Ladles of venison stew poured over buttery boiled potatoes, crisp green beans and cobs of corn. It was quite the feast. As everyone was eating, Quilby and Ash described how they had stumbled across the grobble, and of how it had been chasing them ever since. As the story and the supper came to an end, a room full of wide eyes stared at them aghast. A throat cleared. <coughs> I know this troll of whom you speak, Fungus said. He is the nastiest, vilest creature to have ever entered the underdark markets. Even the most horrible of goblins keep their distance from him. If he is coming after you four, then you truly are in danger. And by coming here, you may have put us in danger too. Ash and Quilby shared an uneasy look. We're so uh, sorry, Quilby said. We, we, we did not think. Um, you, you are right, Fungus. We, we, we have stayed too long and, and we must leave. The, the danger is, is ours alone to bear. It, it, it would be t -t -t terrible if the green-eyed troll came here to, to your home. Fungus's eyes widened. What did you just say? Quilby was confused. The d -d danger is ours to... No, Gnomling, said Fungus. About the eyes. What did you say about the eyes? Uh, uh, just that the, the grubble had... G -g 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 Green eyes. They they glowed. Fungus shot a look at Spoonton. They must go. 
he said urgently. Now! Spoonton gestured for the handsome goblin to be silent, then tapped his chin with a thin finger. Yes, I believe you are right, my dear friend Fungus. They should soon go. He turned to the companions. However, you are not so very different to us, and we are not without compassion. I'd like to see what I can do to help. When you have finished your meal, it would be best for you to leave. Wait for me outside. I'll be with you in a moment. Spoonton strode off and up a set of stairs. The companion said brief goodbyes to the folk in the room and headed outside to rejoin William, who was staring at the little house. Ash rubbed his forehead. I don't think telling them the full story was the smartest thing we could have done, he said. The grubble could be anywhere. He could be watching us from the shadows even now. His eyes darted around as he spoke, but the only creature in sight was William, watching from the grass. Ash, said Rosa, placing her hand on his small shoulder. It was worth taking the chance. We could really do with more, um... Uh, people on our side? Yeah, said Oscar, making an effort to put on a brave face. Well, look at Philip, Ash. He's big enough to make even the Grobble think twice about harming anyone here. I'm sure they'll be safe enough. Mm, I, I guess you're right, said Ash, looking somewhat reassured. Quilby and Ash began checking something within Quilby's hat, muttering between themselves. Oscar turned to his sister. Rosa, seeing Fungus's reaction has got me thinking. He looked terrified, sis. I think we'd better be really sure we know what we're doing before we go any further. I know we've promised to help Ash and Quilby, but who knows how much longer this journey will be. We're going to be in so much trouble when we get home. If we even get home, I mean... What are we doing here? We just left home and, and launched off into this dark forest. And it, it's dangerous and scary. <sighs> Mum and Dad will so be calling our friends' houses by now. And probably even the police too. Rosa thought for a moment, taking this all in. Y you're probably right, Oski, but... Osk... Do you remember when the boys in your class put those rose thorns on their noses and chased me around? Oscar's face saddened at the memory. Of course I do. You sort of thought they were monsters, he replied. Well, I remember how you went and got us each a rose thorn to stick to our noses. So we became monsters too. And I wasn't scared anymore. Uh. I remember, Rosa, Oscar said, still looking gloomy. But what's that got to do with this? Rosa smiled. When those boys were being so mean, why did you do what you did? He thought for a moment. Well, because they were scaring you and because it was the right thing to do. Oscar trailed off as he began to grasp what his little sister was getting at. He gave her a quick hug, then said, You're right, sis, this is the right thing to do. Yep, but you're right too. 
We are going to get in a lot of trouble. It's been hours already, said Rosa. So much trouble, agreed Oscar, shaking his head. Just then, Spoonted exited the house and strode quickly toward the little group. Listen, he began. Although we are worried that you have brought danger our way, we do want to help. We know what it's like to be imperfect, and we feel for you. Ash, not having working wings must be exceptionally difficult for a fairy. And Quilby, you stutter, and anyone can see you lack confidence. And as for you two humans, well, you seem to be reasonably normal. But we won't hold that against you. Here we are none of us perfect, and all of us imperfect ones need to help each other out. William trotted over, stopped, and stared at the group. Hmm, your animal concerns me, continued Spoonton. Something about it just doesn't feel quite right. Something about its eyes and the way it stares. Do you think it's because he could actually be a unicorn? asked Rosa. Spoonton raised an eyebrow to Rosa briefly, then turned to Oscar and handed him a small bird carved from a deep green rock. To help your cause, I give you this gift. Should you and your friends have need, in your darkest hour, speak my name to the bird and throw it as high as you can. I promise nothing, but that we will certainly hear your call and try to help if we can. Oscar studied the bird carefully for a few moments before thanking Spoonton and tucking it into his shirt pocket. Now, if there is nothing further, said Spoonton, it would be best if you are on your way. M my apologies, uh, Sp Sp Spoonton, said Quilby, but, but I do have one final question. Why was Fungus so c c concerned when I mentioned uh, the Grubble's eyes? I'm not so sure, Mr. Quilby, Spoonton said. He certainly was acting odd, and now he's run off out back. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, said Ash a little too quickly. Quilby looked at his friend with some concern. This abrupt comment was unlike him. Come to think of it, Ash hadn't been very forthcoming about his private talk with Sandy, and hadn't quite been himself since. Quilby trusted Ash, though, so he left it there. When the time was right, his friend would surely speak up. The companions thanked Spoonton for the gift and for the feast. Spoonton nodded gravely. Good luck and fair travels, new friends, he said, before spinning on his heels and walking briskly back to the house. Well, said Ash, that's that then. Well, at least we've solved the ghost hound mystery. That's one less thing to worry about. Yeah, said Rosa. This forest is freaky enough as it is. As the group turned away, she headed over to William. Come on, Will, she said. We've got a grotto to find. And don't listen to Spoonton. Your eyes are beautiful. She patted his head and began gently leading him back across the clearing toward the forest path. The rest followed in behind. But none of them were aware that back in the swamp, things were both heating up and freezing down.
The monarch butterfly floated gracefully on the breeze. For a fleeting moment, as it hung in the air, time stood still. The wind picked up, and the butterfly's grace quickly became a bumbling flutter. But there was a method to its madness. Despite its inelegance, it progressed. As the breeze again softened, the monarch came ever closer to its target. A flower, laden with delicious nectar. It was there for the taking. But so was the butterfly. Grop's tongue struck out, wrapped itself around the insect and pulled the hapless creature back into his mouth. He pushed his eyes down into the roof of his mouth to swallow the butterfly whole, then winked at his brother. Lunch had been served. Trevor and Grop were on the edge of the stinking swamp. They had not long ago built up the courage to emerge from the brackish water. After that excited, giant, squeaking animal had so rudely picked them up earlier. At least they'd removed those annoying vines, though. It had been a horrific couple of days, but things were getting back to normal. At last. Trevor licked a small piece of grit off his eye, just in time to spot his next meal. A large, juicy blowfly was cleaning its legs on a nearby leaf. Just as Trevor was readying his tongue to strike, he caught a brief flash of pink to his left. All at once the fly was gone, and Trevor turned to see Grop heartily chewing the stolen catch. His eye winked again. Not to be outdone, Trevor suddenly leapt up onto his brother, stepping directly on his face, and from there launched himself high up into the air. Out flicked Trevor's tongue and snatched a large dragonfly out of the air, into his ridged mouth. The brothers continued like this, showing off to one another with their hunting skills, until their bellies were full and fat. Then they rested, content, in the warm water on the edge of the swamp. But as they lolled about digesting their lunch, an eerie stillness settled over the clearing. All sounds of insect and bird disappeared. Alarmed, the frogs looked at each other, eyes bulging. Now they noticed the air around them becoming increasingly cold. The water at the edge of the swamp began to freeze and crackle around them. Before they could escape, they were frozen in place, their eyes poking out just above the ice. From the direction of the grassy clearing, they began to hear what sounded like a hundred crunching feet approaching through the cold mist. Very soon, a huge figure in black appeared, followed closely by a horde of similar yet smaller creatures, carrying dangerous-looking objects, long and sharp. The tall leader, dressed in black, floated eerily across the now-frozen swamp, passing over the two frogs without sound. They could do nothing but watch in terror, as the throng clomped closer. They trembled at the stomping feet and the threatening-looking objects they carried, glinting and clanging as they approached, closer and closer to the exposed faces of the brothers, unable to move. 